We now go into our conversation around uh, the private security industry. And as I said, I'm joined on the line by uh, Aldred uh, de Klerk, uh, who is a policing and a security expert, to speak to us uh, this evening. Aldred, good evening to you and thank you so much for joining us. Good evening, Ayabonga, and good evening to your listeners. Thank you so much, man, uh, for, for taking time out to speak to us uh, on this particular industry, which is uh, certainly a space you know quite a bit of. Now, let's maybe, I guess, unpack uh, some of the context and the background to this. Uh, I was saying earlier on to some of our listeners, uh, if I look at the private security industry uh, by value and uh, just numbers, probably one of the largest growing industries and the largest uh, 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 industry to emerge uh, as a sole industry since 1994 in the South African space, in the services sectors. And uh, what do you think would be the rationale behind this particular amendment? You don't get an amendment like this uh, unless, of course, there is some context that has uh, spurred on this kind of change. Thank you. Look, the private security industry is said to be one of the biggest in the world. Um, That's the South African private security industry. It obviously is owned by major multinational companies. And the idea in South Africa that we move away from having high-caliber weapons in public spaces as a matter of routine. Um, You and I only have to, as you say, you encounter private security officers every day, and a lot of times you look around and you understand that assets have to be protected, but it actually does approximate going to war with the citizens. And we, through the National Development Plan and the government position, has made it imperative that the police, which is a public entity accounts for the weapons they have and Mm. how they use it. And we need to do the exact same for private security sector. So what is good for the police should also be equally good for the private security sector. And that's a decision made by the South African government, not just following Marikana, Mm. but also under the leadership of starting with with Minister Nteko, Minister Mbalula, and now um, Minister Taylor. But, uh, I mean, I guess even in law, um, law enforcement authorities probably wouldn't have, uh, I guess, the same status as uh, the private security industry, nor nor would the army. And uh, when it comes to these kind of high caliber weapons here and uh, the treatment they've been given in these amendments, uh, surely there must be, I guess, a sense on the part of uh, those in law enforcement that uh, uh, there have been either on the one hand abuses or that uh, there are uh, a certain caliber of weapons here that... uh, uh, as Begitkela was saying, are ordinarily across the world seen to be held by national armies and uh, not uh, private security industries. Indeed. Um, Sir, the regulating authority under the, the aegis of the Department of Police is essentially weak in this regard. And the private security industry has had a, a relatively free hand to regulate itself. They've proven that they cannot do that. Mm. Um, they are... You know, there's accusations of criminality within the sector. Um, they are, they, there's no proper accountability for firearms in their possessions and by members. And essentially, they continue to, to, to clamor on that they should regulate themselves and that there should be minimum government interference. That's not so. Government has a duty under law to regulate the private security industry and especially weapons and other issues, as you were saying, the, the information collected on ordinary citizens, surveillance footage of ordinary citizens, how long is it stored, where is it stored, mm. is it secure, what happens to that information, who's watching, and, and where is it going? Um, so this goes far beyond, to my mind, it also needs to pick up on the issues mm. that you mentioned in your intro.
Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a major issue. But uh, just hold the line here for me, uh, Eldred, for a second while I introduce to our conversation Dave Campbell, uh, who's the legal advisor at Marshall Security. Dave, good evening to you, and thank you so much for joining us. Oh, good evening. Uh, thanks for having me. Dave, I mean, I, I want us maybe to start off on the point that uh, Eldred is raising there, which, of course, uh, firstly is about the lethal force of arms that are, are sometimes in the hands of the private security industry. But in addition to that, I guess, uh, as we find ourselves in the fourth industrial revolution, the role that private security industry plays in surveillance and in the gathering of uh, intelligence and all manner of other things that could potentially raise a uh, national security threat. What do you make of that uh, as a legal mind on behalf of uh, one of the industry players here? And uh, just also your views on uh, some of the uh, draft amendments that have been gazetted. Well, firstly, um, I have no real comment with regards to surveillance. Um, I would point out that these regulations make no mention of surveillance at all. They deal just with with firearms and certain aspects of uniforms. And I also noticed that um, in the press release that was put out by the state, they referred to um, high-caliber weapons. Mm. But I do need to point out that there is no mention anywhere in the regulations of, of, of caliber. Um, all they do is they restrict uh, uh, the use of semi-automatic weapons, mm. which would include a pistol, Yes. Um, and it limits, uh, so for example, armed response, if the, if the regulations go through as they're currently drafted, armed response and um, close protection, uh, anti-poaching, etc., would be limited to use of a revolver or a single-shot pistol. Um, and we expect it to come up, and we do come up against uh, suspects armed with assault rifles of R5 and AK-47s mm. on a regular basis. And if these regulations go through, it will result in the death of our security officers and various members of the public. Yeah, yeah. Now, Dave, let me maybe clarify. I guess uh, I, I'm the one who raised the surveillance uh, issue. In the context of the shifting role and function of private security, I don't think that uh, the only tool at the disposal of many private securities in this day and age in 2019 is only uh, some of the uh, semi-automatic weapons uh, that are party to this bill or or this uh, um, sort of draft amendment here. But uh, as an industry and uh, for a much broader conversation, we are also seeing some shifts uh, in that direction. And and I guess the big question then is uh, in in response, in respect with what uh, the minister has raised, should some of these semi-automatic weapons and some of those uh, highlighted in the amendment be the sole uh, preserve of only the armed forces uh, of the nation and, uh, of course, the state law enforcement um, and uh, not those in the private industry? I-, I would think that you would have a, a view different to that. Uh, absolutely. I would have... If uh, semi-automatic or rather fully automatic assault rifles were only the preserve of the state then I would have no problem with that. Mm. The problem is they are in the hands of armed gangs of criminals. Um, that but surely that's not, that's not, basis, but surely that's not uh, due to state uh, policy, right? Uh, they're in the arms of criminals because there's no, elements that is, that inside law enforcement. That is, that is the truth. That is the circumstances that we have to deal with. No, no, and, um, that, and, and that is indeed correct, our, Dave. Our members come up against it on a daily basis. No, no, Dave, the point I'm making is that it is not policy for some of those arms to be in the hands uh, of uh, uh, criminals and other elements in our society. But of course, uh, that doesn't necessarily negate the facts as you state them. Uh, And the big question that we, I guess, are asking here is, uh, should maybe then uh, the policy be responding to the fact 
uh, of the matter, which is that there are sort of uh, armed, marauding gangs of people who are out there who uh, have uh, uh, some of these weapons. Absolutely. Um, it's completely unrealistic to try and disarm the security industry um, when you're only armed because you have to be. Okay. Um, so, so, Dave, let's pause then, and I want us maybe to uh, continue on that vein when we come back. Eldred, I'll also bring you into the conversation. Just want to quickly take this uh, brief break, and I'd also invite some of our listeners to join our conversation here. Give us a ring on 89 110 Some throwbacks deserve a comeback. Hunters, the premium side, is on a mission to refresh cool and bring back the old school. Can you refresh cool? If so, tune in tonight to Midnight with Sentley this week and join the coolest conversations to share your throwbacks that deserve a comeback. Follow at Hunter Cider and Metro FM on Facebook for more information. Brought to you by Hunters, the original cider that refreshes like nothing on earth. Drink responsibly, not for sale to persons under the age of 18. 21 minutes now, it is after 8 p.m. We continue our conversation and uh, I'm joined by Aldred Declare, who's a policing and security analyst and Dave Campbell. A legal advisor at Marshall Security. Eldred, let me bring you back in here. What do you make of some of the comments that Dave is uh, making here? And it's quite clear, of course, that uh, it's not the ideal uh, that we have uh, uh, people who are armed to the T uh, when, uh, you know, we are saying now let's, uh, I guess, uh, disarm the private security industry. What's going to happen when uh, we, uh, I guess, force the private security industry to go into a gunfight with a knife? No, I, I, I think it's alarmist to, to say that the attempt here is to disarm the private in, um, security industry. Dave, through his opening statement, said that there's a process of consultation and that certain things are not clear. And what is not clear, and we often use, and he's right, we often use colloquially this idea of fully and semi-automatics as if they're exactly the same thing, and most of us couldn't determine one firearm from another and we'll leave that to the experts. That process, this is an idea, and the idea is very simple. South Africa society should not be routinely armed. Mm. Yes, there are people who illegally and legally possess firearms, and where they do do so legally, there's the Firearms Act that seeks to regulate that and make sure that they own it, store it, and use it responsibly. For those who don't have it, who, who don't have the license to do so, the state and the public needs to act against them, and that's a criminal offense. Mm. When it comes to those people, so let's just be very clear. The private security industry is there providing a service to the public at the behest of the public as represented by the state, who has an obligation to regulate them, including the firearms which they use, how they use it, how they train to set those standards and to make sure that they that those arms are, are given to responsible individuals, that they're used within the law, and, and that they are stored just, you know, and, and all, all the rest. Yes, there are real threats um, to, to, to environmental stock, as, as David said, like rhino poaching mm. and the like, and there are real threats to assets, both state and public, that has to be protected. But this cannot be protected at the expense of making sure that we militarize both the sector and public spaces mm. and that we encroach increasingly on public spaces as private security has been doing routinely throughout South Africa. And I'm not alarmist by saying that. Mm. After Firearms Summit a number of years ago when the Private Security Industry Amendment Bill was first um, cited, 
the idea from both the firearms owners and the private security industry was this alarmist call that the state is seeking to disarm them. Mm. We left that summit after a few days with very clear understanding that it's an attempt to regulate and not disarm. So let's just dispel this nonsense about the state wanting to disarm the private security industry or anybody else. The state is saying, let's go into conversation. Mm. and Let's clarify and define what we mean by the respective terms. Let's understand the threat and the risk and let's act together mm. to make sure that we put the best plan in place. Now, Eldred, I'm quite interested in what you said there. And uh, uh, there's a piece, I mean, that was written a few years ago in Vanguard magazine uh, that I'm, I'm going to read a small piece of. And uh, I want to hear your view on this and uh, you too as well, Dave, because it speaks to what you're saying around the militarization of our society and public spaces. And I often think there's a, certainly a class character even to private security services. It's a certain kind of public that is able to secure private security services. You're not going to find private security services in many of the rural areas, nor are you going to find them uh, in uh, many of our townships. And so it's quite clear that all of this really happens in the suburbs. And uh, uh, Tato writing in the Vanguard magazine a few years ago said, uh, ADT and Chubb, uh, two uh, private security companies, they form the armed wing of the suburbs. Tactical units, four by fours, with two armed black men wearing bulletproof vests, Patrol the suburbs, giving every middle-class person the heebie-jeebies when they realize they forgot their keys and are going to have to hop their fence and reminding poor black people when, uh, where they are not supposed to be unless they are doing the reproductive labor of suburb homes. Even so, don't hang around. And does this could add to that impression of alienating certain people, uh, really scaring people and uh, really getting them skrik, if I, if I can use that uh, Afrikaans uh, turn of phrase here, uh, when you have people carrying arms all around you, uh, it surely must create a, a certain kind of mood in the society and a militarization that uh, this particular amendment is trying to address. If Eldred? you want me to go first, and then I, yeah. I'm hoping that David, David would respond, I would obviously concur with that sentiment. And I've been subjected to being stopped in my own neighborhood by routine um, private security patrols asking me, where am I going, who am I going to see, and what am I doing here? Um, and I asked them very clear questions as to, sorry, who are you? You don't bother to introduce yourself. Um, and taking liberties which not even police officers mm. um, would take. It happens through the CCID in the city of Cape Town where young people are shuffled off the streets. There's a the routine policing of the underclass um, and ensuring, and, and it does set up a society and entrenches fundamentally an unjust practices and, and, a, and an unequal society. And I'm concerned about that, and the state should also be concerned about that. Okay. Now, uh, uh, Dave, your, your response to that? Yeah, well, I think we're just off the topic. Um, How so? The How so, Dave? with regards to firearms. And to respond to that question only in relation to firearms, that is, the only people who would be concerned um, are armed robbers. Dave, um, a law-abiding citizen definitely wouldn't be concerned with his uh, armed response. Dave, uh, let's pause there for a second. Firearms. Dave, let's pause there for a second. The amendments are about removing high-caliber weapons from public spaces and making those spaces safer. Now, uh, it's not only... Wait, no, let me finish. Um, let me finish the I point. I'll allow you, that, Dave, you are Dave, from the state, Dave. You're quoting Dave. from the state press release. You haven't read the regulation. Dave. Dave, this conversation is going to be difficult to undertake if we're not going to give each other an opportunity to speak. Let me finish the point I was making and I'll afford you an opportunity uh, to continue with what you're saying. I am suggesting that certainly from the statement here, 
which of course outlines the rationale for this amendment being gazetted in the first place. It might not necessarily be worded in the same way in the gazette, but it also is about taking weapons away from public spaces in order to demilitarize those spaces because I would argue that it's not only people who carry weapons or people who are criminals who care about having weapons in their surroundings. Think about any person when there's a cash in transit, uh, all of these guys that are carrying high caliber weapons in cash in transit, uh, when they're trying to secure the money there. Everybody in a mall often tries to change route or is in some form, I guess, unsettled by that. Now, I, I guess that's the point that, that is trying to be made here. And I want to hear your view on that because I don't think that necessarily we're drifting away from the conversation. Yeah. Well, if people at the mall are unsettled by that, it's not that they're unsettled that the security officer, of the security officer, they're unsettled by the fact that there's a very high risk that that security officer will be attacked by an armed gang. So they're trying to remove themselves from the situation. Okay, yeah, yeah, but please continue with the point you were making, yeah? So, so, so you are suggesting that um, fundamentally here, this, this is a process to disarm uh, the private security industry, and Aldred is arguing that this is not what is underway here. What is your view uh, with regard to what, uh, I guess, uh, Aldred is arguing is the merits of this uh, uh, gazetted amendment? Okay, well, if I could quickly refer to the actual provisions as, as yeah, they sure. Go ahead. gazetted them. Um, if it is close to as it stands, there's only six categories of security service that are able to carry a firearm. Armed response, cash and transit, public investigator, anti-poaching, close protection, and guarding a national key point. Mm. So, and that at the moment can only carry a revolver or a single shot pistol um, or a shotgun. They can't even carry a normal semi-automatic pistol. If you don't fit in that category, you can't carry a firearm at all. So, for example, they, they failed to list uh, vehicle tracking as, as an example or an armed guard on a site. So now you have a situation where a vehicle tracking company is required to track hijackers without carrying any firearm at all. And you could have a situation where an armed guard of, let's say, a vault with a billion rand is not allowed to carry a firearm. But when a guard comes to fetch the 100 grand from that vault and take it to the bank, now that becomes cash and transit and you can carry off semi-automatic. You know, there's various issues like that, which is illogical. Mm. I can, if I'm doing close protection, I'm not allowed to carry a semi-automatic weapon while I'm being protected, even if I'm high risk. But if I take the 100 grand note out of my pocket and give it to the security officer and ask him to go bank it, he can carry a semi-automatic weapon while he's doing that because that's an asset in transit. But yet my life apparently isn't valuable enough to that. Mm, mm, okay. No, no, I hear that. Eldred? I, look, I, I think the argument is, is oversimplified. The, the suggestions are there. The, nothing is perfect. Let's have the conversation. And I think the conversation is there to be had. And Dave may consider this illogical. And we need to start from the premise, to my mind, that we want a routinely unarmed society, and I may be living in Kalkuka land to think that that's possible, um, and that we do have to weigh, as far as the national um, the firearms regulation is concerned, our national development plan, and or and every other prescript that sits ideally on you know in in our in our realm of thinking about the kind of South Africa we want to create, that says South Africa has to be a society in which people do not fear. Um, now, that may not be possible right now, but we need to weigh up issues of assets, about people, about life, 
we need to consider how how we best going to protect that. Mm. And I think we have an opportunity here to have that conversation and be quite forthright with each other yeah. as to what is valued, what the perceptions are, and the perceptions I want to argue is not just that armed security personnel could be protected in a mall, which is essentially a private space, that the private mall owner should, should protect and not the police and not the state. I think I'm also concerned about private security officers who are routinely armed around me, um, who may consider me a threat and have actually approached me in my, in my personal lived experience and have questioned me when I walk on a, on, on a, on a, in a public space. So that's a conversation I'm willing to have, provided mm-hmm. we start with some honesty here and say, what is necessary? Where is it necessary? And how do we go beyond the point where we all arm ourselves to the teeth, make our gang bigger than the criminal gang, with 1, 1.8, 1.9, maybe 2 million security officers in this country. The only people that get blamed for crime and violence is the state and the police. Hmm. Yet, all these security officers outnumber them. Hmm. And no finger is pointed at the ineptness, incompetency, or routine failure of security when it comes to housebreaking, when it comes to crashing transit, comes in all kinds of other things. Yet the burden of that is placed on the ordinary taxpayer and on the state. So let's have an honest conversation and say, how are we going to hold hands? How are we going to cooperate? And what is possible? There are pockets of opportunity where we've shown that we can work together to ensure safety for everybody, including the valuable assets that has been protected by these 1.8, 1.9 million individuals. Mm-hmm. Dave, let me give you the last word. And I, and, uh, I also I guess take, take the cue from what Aldred was saying, that uh, uh, there has indeed uh, uh, got to be a conversation that's opened up about these issues. And I certainly hope that the conversation is going to continue in some of those public consultations. I'm quite interested in what Marshall Security is going to be presenting uh, before those uh, public consultations here in response to uh, some of these gazetted amendments as we close. Okay, uh, well, first, just to respond to uh, Elridge, yeah, sure. um, there actually isn't 1.9 million uh, active security guards in South Africa. It's uh, approximately 450,000 uh, security officers, and obviously the vast, vast majority of those are unarmed. Um, there's approximately there maybe close to 1.9 registered, in other words, who have done their course at one stage or another, so they're no longer active on the system. Um, but with regards to the presentation, uh, the, our presentation uh, for consultation occurred this morning, um, and we formed a uh, committee of other concerned security companies, and we'll be making further representations in the next week or two, and obviously we'll also be considering uh, uh, taking the matter on review should um, the final outcome uh, not, not be appropriate, um, because there's a grave concern for what will happen to the lives of our, our security officers mm. uh, should the regulations go through as they currently are. Okay. Dave, thank you so much uh, for your time. Dave Campbell, legal advisor at Marshall Security, and uh, was also joined by Aldred de Klerk, their policing and uh, security analyst, uh, speaking to us this evening here uh, about the private security industry as we place it under the microscope. What do you think about that? And, uh, of course, I can assure you also that conversation and not the last time we're going to be having that one.